This is the Software Patent Podcast by BlueShift IP. Welcome back to the Software Patent Podcast by BlueShift IP. With me, Robert Plotkin, one of the founders of BlueShift IP, the software patent experts. In this podcast, I and my partner, Cynthia Gilbert, talk to you about uh, all of the latest developments in software patent law here in the U.S. We help you avoid the most common pitfalls in software patents and share with you how we succeed in obtaining strong, broad, and defensible software patents for our clients in the U.S., and beyond. You can always reach out to us and find out more about us at blueshiftip.com. Check out our blog at blueshiftip.com slash blog, our articles on LinkedIn, and of course, the podcast that you're listening to now, the one and only software patent podcast. This is part two in a special series of episodes on how to determine whether your software is patentable. If you're an inventor or an executive at a high-tech company or a patent lawyer outside the U.S., we hope that you will find this series to help you at least make a first-pass determination of whether your software or your client's software is worth considering for patent protection. We've been asked uh, over the years many times, can we provide a checklist or a set of criteria that clients and, and patent lawyers in other countries can use to try to determine whether their software is patentable in the U.S. because they know that the law as it applies to software patents is changing all the time. It's complex. It's hard to apply. Uh, people don't know what it is if, if they're not like us dealing with software patents in the U.S. day in and day out, dealing with the patent office, working with the patent examiner, staying on top of all the legal developments. It's, it's very, very hard to do. So we produced this series of episodes in response to that demand that we've received, and we've tried to make this as simple easy uh, to apply and understand as possible. The caveat that I have to provide, this is not legal advice. This is informational. If you do want specific legal advice about your own invention or your client's invention, please retain the services of a licensed patent attorney in the appropriate jurisdiction. In the U.S., of course, we at Blue Shift IP uh, represent clients in obtaining, enforcing, and defending against software patents. Feel free to contact us at blueshiftip.com. In each episode in this series, like this episode two, we will cover one criterion that you can use to evaluate whether your software is likely to be patentable. The first point that I want to make in today's episode is that the U.S. Patent Office is very strict about rejecting patent applications that cover inventions that could, even in theory, be performed by a human instead of a computer. Let me give you an example, because that may be hard to understand what I'm talking about. If your software, let's just say, matches employers with people looking for jobs, the matchmaking site, and it does that by comparing the employer's criteria, the things they're looking for in employees, matches those against criteria of people looking for jobs, job seekers. And it finds people who are looking for jobs who have the skills that 
the employers want according to the criteria that they've provided. Now, you may be really confident that the particular way that your software does that matchmaking can't be mimicked by a human. It's not something you could do on pencil and paper. You may know that and you may be right. For example, maybe no human being could review and sift through the huge amount of data that your employment matchmaking software sorts through or evaluate that data as quickly as your software could do it. Right? What your software does in a second, it might take a human being a year to perform. But the patent office, however, often does not care <laughs> about that distinction, but with a very significant exception, which I'll discuss later. If you submit a patent application on your employment matchmaking software that says that your software matches employees with potential employers by comparing the employer criteria with the job applicant skills, if your patent application is not written in a very particular way, the patent office might reject your patent application and argue that, in theory, humans can perform job matchmaking, matching employers with prospective employees. And, and basically, they, the patent office might ignore the fact that it would not be practical for a human to do the kind of matchmaking that your software does with that huge amount of data. This doesn't mean that you can't necessarily patent this type of software. What it means is that you have to think really carefully in advance before writing and filing a patent application about exactly what it is about your software that makes it capable of doing something that a human can't do, or what makes it capable of doing something, this matchmaking, in a way, in in a manner that a human couldn't do it. You need to think through that really clearly. For example, let's say you, you conclude that what makes your software different and unique is in how much faster it is than a human. Well, if that's the distinguishing feature, if that's what's new and inventive about your software, then in the patent application that you submit to the patent office, you better describe in detail how the software achieves that speed. You can't just say it's faster. You must describe the algorithm or the other steps that the software performs to make it faster. I sometimes say you have to describe the how of the software, how it does what it does, not just the what. You can't just say it's faster. You have to describe the steps that the software performs that enables it to be faster. If you leave that detail out of the patent application, you are probably going to have a very hard time getting a patent granted on your software, even if it is, in fact, really new and really different from any previous software, and even if a human actually could not do what your software does. For example, it can be really helpful in the patent application to provide specific quantitative data or a quantitative explanation of exactly how much faster the software is than a human. You might say, on a million samples of data, the software can produce so many matches in less than a second and then explain how it can do that. 
it's in general useful to be very specific in the description in the patent application in order to make clear without a doubt that your software is doing something that a human could not even in theory do and also to explain how your software does that thing. This may all, I understand, it may sound strange and bizarre and surprising, maybe irrational to you, (laughs) that you'd have to say these kinds of things about your software in a patent application, but that fact is exactly why it's really critical for you to work with a patent attorney who specializes in software patents and who knows about these legal requirements and pitfalls, who knows about other kinds of techniques for writing a software patent application in a way that maximizes its likelihood of being allowed by the patent office. The last thing you want to do is have really new innovative software that fails to get a patent granted on it after you spent a lot of time and money just because the patent application wasn't written appropriately. At BlueShift IP, as software patent attorneys, when we write software patent applications, we often explain how the code in the software is written in a fair amount of detail. We don't have to usually go down to the code level, but we make judgments about how much detail to go into so that we can support an argument that even if a human were to try to perform the same task as the software. That human couldn't perform it in the way that the software does or in the time required. And, you know, in my experience, inventors and companies and even patent attorneys who don't specialize in software can trip up on this kind of issue when they try to write patent applications for software. I'll often see this when I see such patent applications after they've been submitted to the patent office for other clients. I mean, I might see that those patent applications don't include enough detail in them about how the software works, in which case it's very predictable that those patent applications will get rejected by the patent office and that it'll be very hard to overcome those rejections because the patent office doesn't allow you to submit new information about how the invention works after you've submitted the original patent application. As a result, it can, it can be very uh, difficult to obtain a patent based on a patent application that didn't contain sufficient technical detail about how the software worked from the beginning when it was filed. Another reason it's critically important to work with a patent attorney who specializes in software patents is that the rules about how much detail you need to provide in the patent application change frequently. In general, in my experience, I've been doing this for over 20 years, uh, those rules have generally become more strict in recent years than they've become in the past, meaning you have to now provide more detail in the patent application about how your software works than you used to 10, 15 years ago. But in general, those rules change constantly. Patent office very regularly issues new guidelines that change the rules that govern software patent applications. And as a result, what I'd call a generalist patent attorney, it might be someone who's super competent uh, as a patent attorney, but who spends most of his or her time working on technologies in other fields like mechanical or chemical or pharmaceutical inventions. Those patent attorneys may not be familiar enough with the rules that apply specifically to software patents. So in summary, in in this episode, I have focused on 
the critical need to explain in detail in the patent application itself that covers a new kind of software, uh, the need to provide as much detail as possible about how that software operates to show how and why that software couldn't be replicated or the function of that software couldn't be performed by a human who's trying to do the same thing as a software. If you can write your patent application in that way, or if you can work with a patent attorney who can write a patent application in that way, your patent application, in my experience, is much more likely to be granted as a patent. And when I speak to clients about their software inventions, by interviewing them in detail, I'm often able to uncover additional details about how their software works so that I can describe those details in the patent application. And I found that you know, often these are details that the inventors didn't think or know were relevant legally because the inventors, understandably, are attuned to the technical aspects of their invention, to the code and how it's written and how it works, and they're not attuned to the legal requirements. Often these are details that the inventors didn't think were relevant because they're, you know, they're attuned to the technical aspects of their invention and not to the legal requirements that apply to that invention. So if you're, if you're a patent attorney outside the U.S., for example, with a client who's developed some new software, uh, feel free to contact us at Blue Shift IP as U, U.S. patent attorneys. Um, we'd be glad to help you evaluate that software for patentability in the U.S. And, you know, if you start applying the criteria that are on the checklist that I hope you're building up as you listen to these episodes and uh, you find that you're satisfying several of the criteria, then, you know, that software may be uh, worthwhile looking into patenting in the U.S., and even if you're finding that you're not satisfying all the criteria, I urge you to dive deeper with your client and with the inventors to see if there's some other features of the software that you've overlooked, which might lend it a patentability. So I hope you found today's episode on how to determine whether your software is patentable to be helpful. Stay tuned for our next episode, which is going to be three out of four in this series on what makes software patentable. And we will describe one more criterion that you can use to evaluate whether your software or your client's software is patentable. Join us next time on the Blue Shift IP Software Patent Podcast. Feel free to check us out at blueshiftip.com and contact us through blueshiftip.com if you need any kind of assistance with software patents in the U.S. See you next time. The Software Patent Podcast by Blue Shift IP is hosted by me, Robert Plotkin, and Cynthia Gilbert, who are software patent attorneys and the founding partners of Blue Shift IP, the software patent experts. The Software Patent Podcast is produced by Ginny Media. For all software patent inquiries, please visit blueshiftip.com.